Awesome. Hey, can I have some suggestions? What was a favorite cartoon or comic strip that you all had as a kid? Nice. All right. Charlie Brown, I heard that. Nice. Anybody, anyone had Scooby-Doo? No one had Scooby-Doo? Scooby-Doo fans? Nice. What about like the Batman? Any Batman cartoon people? There we go. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. My name's Ashish. I'm excited to lead us through Mark this morning. Uh, but before we do that, I know that there is a lot going on in the world around us, um, a lot that's maybe happening in our own individual lives this morning. And I just wanted to take a moment to just pause and just be still. And so we're just going to take maybe 30 seconds to just be still. If there's a silent prayer that's on your heart, uh, you can pray that, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll step into our time together. Uh, so let's just take a moment to just be still. Jesus, we thank you that you are present in this room. Jesus, we thank you that there is nothing that goes unnoticed with you. And so, Holy Spirit, we're gathered here today to just listen to you. And so, would you open our ears? Jesus, tune our hearts to your voice. And Jesus, would you meet us here? Thank you for a moment to just be still and know that no matter what is happening around us, to be still and know that you are God and you are here. And so Jesus, we just commit these next few moments to you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, like I said, growing up, I had my fair share of Scooby-Doo. I had Batman. I watched a lot on the PBS channel, a lot of cartoons there. But one of my favorite cartoons growing up starred these animated talking vegetables. Now, this might make some of you cringe and others of you feel nostalgic or somewhere in between. But one of the shows that I grew up on and many of my friends grew up on was called VeggieTales. Now, if you are not familiar with VeggieTales, this cartoon was made by a Jesus follower who wanted to teach the Bible, but he wanted to do it in a new and creative way. And I would say vegetables that are talking and sharing the Bible story is a creative way to share what's going on. But in VeggieTales, I followed the adventures of Pa Grape, of Junior Asparagus, who you can see on the screen, of Mr. Lunt, who loved his cheeseburgers, and who could forget Larry the Cucumber and Bob the Tomato. Now, they told the Bible stories in a new and fresh... There we go. That's the last joke today. All right. In a new and fresh way. There were very silly moments and a lot of silly songs, but VeggieTales also asked some surprisingly deep questions. For example, one of the most meaningful episodes to me was when Junior Asparagus is having a nightmare about Frankencelery, not to be confused with Frankenstein, 
And he asks this question, where is God when I'm scared? And of course, the vegetables answer that question with a song. But where is God when I'm scared? Have you ever asked that question? I know I have countless times. I mean, whether that's in the middle of a deep crisis or whether I'm facing off against a mouse in our house, where is God when I'm scared? (laughs) Or take out the scared part. Where is God when I'm fill in the blank? How would you fill in that blank this morning? Maybe it's where is God when I'm disappointed? Where is God in the mundane? Where is God when I feel overworked? Where is God when my family is falling apart? Where is God when I'm alone or back to square one? Where is God when life is hard? Where is God? Now that question is one that we all have or will ask in our lives. And I wonder if the people in our passage this morning were asking a similar question, where is God? And what we'll see in our passage this morning is that in the midst of desperation, doubt, fear, and even death, where is God or where is Jesus? This passage reminds us that Jesus, God in the flesh, is present and invites his followers to respond. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you have your Bible, we're going to continue in our series through the book of Mark. And we're going to be anchoring this morning in Mark chapter 5. And so if you have a Bible or an app, you can go there. Otherwise, as always, it'll be on the screen. So just to catch us up with where we've been so far, right last week we talked about Mark chapter 4, about the parable of the sower. This was an illustration Jesus used to talk about the different ways people responded to the kind of king that Jesus was and the kind of kingdom that Jesus would bring. And so Mark goes from this illustration to four very tangible ways that Jesus shows the kind of leader that he is and the kind of kingdom that he is bringing. And this is through miracles. Jesus performs four of these miracles, miracles being glimpses of the kingdom. But each of the settings of these miracles is a crisis in one form or another. A setting where if we were back in that situation, we might have asked, where is Jesus in the middle of what's going on? And so let's walk through these miracles. Right after this parable of the sower, the first miracle Mark talks about is when the disciples are in a boat. And maybe you know the story, but the waves get rougher, the winds pick up, and soon the disciples find themselves in a full-on storm. But where is Jesus in the middle of this storm? Mark shows that Jesus is present. And Jesus is not only present, but he stands up and he calms the storm. He says, be still. And astonished, the disciples ask, who is this? And then you have the second account, where it shows Jesus encountering a man who was held captive or possessed by a demon. And it actually wasn't one demon, but a legion of demons. Where is Jesus in the middle of deep spiritual oppression and darkness? Once again, Mark shows that Jesus is present. And not only is Jesus present, but he has the authority over this darkness. He confronts the demons and casts them out of this man and sets this man free. 
And it's a whole story of the demons going into a herd of pigs and that herd of pigs running down a mountain. It's a whole thing. You can read about it in Mark chapter 5. But Mark shows us where is Jesus in the midst of the storm and where is Jesus in the midst of spiritual darkness? Jesus is present and he sets free. And so at this point, we get to the final two miracle stories. And here Mark gets personal. Storms and spiritual forces are spectacular, but sometimes they can seem distant. What happens when the unexpected hits close to home? And here we pick up in Mark chapter 5, verses 21. So we'll read it here. It says, When Jesus had crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. In fact, the Gospel of Luke, when he's writing about this, he shows us that this is Jairus' only child or his only daughter. And so you can hear the desperation in Jairus' voice as he's kneeling down before Jesus. And so after Jairus asks this, it says Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes... I will be healed. And so Mark introduces two characters in this story. And while their stories are interconnected, these two characters couldn't have been more different. On one hand, you had Jairus, this religious leader who was probably a man of high standing in that society. And then on the other hand, you had this woman, so low, so excluded from society that she is not even named. And on one hand, you have Jairus, who at least has a sliver of hope. My daughter is still alive. Jesus can still heal her. And on the other hand, you have this woman who is very clear. Her situation has become more and more hopeless. This woman had tried to find help. But every leader that was supposed to help her, every person that was supposed to provide answers, only left her more destitute and devastated. And so when we find her in this story, this woman is not only physically depleted, but she is relationally excluded from the community. Two different people, two different stories, but united in their need for Jesus. Both of them know that Jesus is the only hope they have left. And so Mark continues. So after the woman decides her plan of reaching out and touching Jesus' cloak, it says immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace 
and be freed from your suffering. And while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing, or the NIV also says, ignoring what they said. Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. All right, we're going to leave on a little bit of a cliffhanger there. But I want to zoom in on these two interactions because I find Jesus' response to both the woman and Jairus fascinating. For the woman, I'm sure she thought, I'll just reach out and I'll touch his robe. I won't be noticed. I won't be a bother. I just, I won't even stop him. This is just my last resort. But Jesus doesn't keep moving. He pauses and is present. And he asks the audacious question, who touched me? And while the disciples are baffled, the woman makes her way through the crowd. And it says she approaches him with fear. And it was probably a mix of shock and also horror. I mean, she had just stopped this very popular teacher from serving this very popular man. Jesus had every right to be angry, to be frustrated, to rebuke her, to call her out for this interruption. But where is Jesus in the midst of her isolation, desperation, and fear? Jesus pauses and is present. And he looks at her and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Go in shalom, this holistic peace. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Daughter, your faith has healed you. This word in Greek for faith is the same word that's used when Jesus actually confronts the disciples in the storm. Where is your faith? But where the disciples responded to the storm with fear, the woman responds to this metaphorical storm in her life with faith. And not just this intellectual understanding, but she actually full-on acts. She reaches out and touches Jesus' cloak. And Jesus could have just healed her and kept moving. But when Jesus turns around, he shows something really important about faith. Jesus shows us that faith is about a relationship, not a transaction. Faith is about a relationship, not a transaction. Jesus is not a vending machine. The greater my faith, the more Jesus will give me. Yes, this woman was healed, but this story was about more than just healing. Jesus had not only restored her physically, but enabled her to be welcomed back into the community. This is what the kingdom is about. Yes, the signs of the kingdom are healing and freedom, but at the core of the kingdom is the good news that Jesus has made a way for all of us to be in a relationship with a loving God, to be a part of a new family. Notice what Jesus says, daughter, not woman, not stranger, not outcast, not inconvenience. Daughter, your faith has healed you. But when I read the story, I often think, what about all the other women that Jesus didn't heal that day? Did they not have enough faith? Did God love them less? While we live on this side of eternity, this is a tension we have to wrestle with, and maybe you're wrestling with this tension this morning. God, I've had faith. 
And I've reached out to you. In fact, I've been reaching. And I've followed you years and years and years. And I've prayed and I've prayed. But there still is no healing. When it comes to praying for healing, I can be tempted to think that healing is now or never. But that's not what we see in Scripture. The Bible reminds us that for those who choose to follow Jesus, healing is not now or never. Healing is now or future. If we choose to give our lives to Jesus, then we can trust in the future hope that Jesus will return and make all the wrong things right. I know God absolutely answers prayer now. I've been a part of praying for and I've seen people miraculously heal through prayer, through medicine, through therapy, through community. I believe God uses all those things to bring healing. And I've also been a part of praying for healing. And the prayer is not answered the way I want that prayer to be answered. And even though intellectually I know that Jesus will come back and make all the wrong things right, it doesn't make the pain and disappointment of that moment any less hard. In the midst of seasons of desperation and pain, the story in Mark provides a profound encouragement. Because where is Jesus in the story? In the midst of the crowd pushing him to his next destination, Jesus pauses and is present with the woman who is suffering. Yes, the presence of Jesus can absolutely bring about healing, and it does in the story. And also the presence of Jesus can comfort us in our grief. It can strengthen us as we navigate the messy middle. It can give us peace that even in the valley of the shadow of death, even there, Jesus is with us. The presence of Jesus can give us the strength for each day. And remind us of the hope that one day Jesus will return and there will be no more tears. There will be no more death. All things will be made new. But till that day, Jesus pauses and is present with us in the middle of the healing and the heartache. Of the joy as well as the grief. So in Mark, Jesus shows that he is present with the woman. But what about Jairus? As Jesus has stopped and is asking this bizarre question of who touched me, Jairus receives the heartbreaking news no one wants to hear. Your daughter is dead. Can you imagine the voices that began to yell inside Jairus' mind? I wonder, did the doubt begin to creep in? Jesus was the wrong person to ask. It's too late. This was a stupid request, Jairus. There's no more hope. It's done. Yes, Jesus was present in this woman's desperation, but would he be present in Jairus' doubt? And I love what Jesus does. It says, ignoring what they said, Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Believe, it's the same word that's used for the word faith. It's just the verb form, pisteo. And just like the woman had faith, Jairus, I'm inviting you to have faith. The message translation says, don't listen to them, just trust me. Now, last summer I got to play in a volleyball rec league, and our team snuck into the playoffs as the eighth seed. It's honestly the most successful I've been in any sport in my life. <laughs> Anyways, during that playoff game, we were matched against the best team in the league. 
And the first game, we held our own. It was like, okay, this was close. We lost, but it was close. But game two, if we were on TV, they would have switched the channel out of pity for what happened to us during game two. Game two, we were destroyed. <laughs> and I remember halfway through that second game, as the score started to get a little out of hand, I started to scorecard check, which is looking at the scorecard and saying, okay, how far behind are we going in this game? And as I would look at the scorecard, I began to play all these what-if games in my head of, oh, if I did this, then we're going to score. If I did this, then this is going to happen. But the problem was when my focus was on that scorecard, I became distracted in the game. And the team kept scoring point upon point. And so not only was I distracted, but then I was discouraged. I'd lost all focus in that game. In this moment between Jesus and Jairus, when Jairus' world is in free fall, I like to picture Jesus as a coach getting down to Jairus' level, maybe putting his hand on Jairus' shoulder and saying, don't look at the scorecard. Look at me. Don't listen to the voices. Don't listen to the doubt. Don't place your hope in fear. Don't listen to them. Place your trust in me. Keep your eyes fixed on me. And so Jesus invites Jairus to trust him just one more time. And we'll continue the story here. So, after Jesus invites Jairus to just believe, Jesus did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. They knew she was dead. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. I love how even in this moment, Jesus is attentive to this little girl's need. He knows now is not the time to go share this news. This girl needs something to eat. Go get her something to eat. But can you imagine the parents' joy as they watch the breath enter their child's body? Can you imagine the astonishment? This was a hopeless situation. The game was out of hand, but Jesus had other plans. Now, when I read the story, I like to think of the disciples in this story. I mean, we'll have a little description on the screen here. But what a roller coaster of emotions. From being in the boat as Jesus calmed the storm to witnessing Jesus do the impossible, raising this girl from the dead. Now, those disciples would go on to face their own deep seasons of desperation, doubt, and death. Mark goes on to talk about how the way of Jesus is going to lead through hard moments, either because we follow Jesus or because we live in a world that is broken. There were moments where I'm sure the disciples asked, where is 
Jesus. I love what one of those disciples, Peter, writes in a later letter. It's actually in 1 Peter. And the context of this letter is Peter is writing to the church in the middle of persecution. A time of desperation, doubt, and death for this community. But in the middle of that, look at what Peter says. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The hope that not only is Jesus present, but that we have a hope and a future. And that in his presence, Peter would go on to say, I pray that the God of all grace will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I wonder if one of the disciples, Peter, was able to look back on moments like the one by the bedside and remember that even in the face of death, the same Jesus who was present then is the same Jesus who would be present now. So where is Jesus in the midst of desperation, doubt, and even at death's door? Jesus is present. And in his presence, Jesus invites us to respond. Throughout Mark, and especially in this passage, following the way of Jesus isn't just noticing where Jesus' presence is, but it's following the invitation he gives to Jairus. It's responding to Jesus' presence by placing our trust in him. The way of Jesus can be simplified down to the way of trust. Not just an intellectual understanding, but fully leaning on the presence of Jesus in the good times and the bad. So what does that mean for us today? As we follow the way of Jesus, there will be moments where we ask, where is Jesus? And maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe, like the woman, you're asking, where is Jesus when I'm desperate? Things seem beyond hope. Everything you've tried has left you no further along than when you started. In fact, along the way, you've gotten more hurt and more excluded, and you actually just have one more reach in you left. And that's it. Where is Jesus when I'm desperate? Or maybe like Jairus, you're asking, where is Jesus when I'm doubting? The scorecard of life tells you it's done. Bring out the mourners. The timetable for healing is over. Don't even bother God with this request. And in the free fall, you are just inundated with voices on your phone and the news and people, even lies. Your own mind tells you to provide answers. Where is Jesus in the doubt? Or maybe you're like the little girl on the bed and you feel dead, stuck. Maybe it's a dream that has fallen apart, a relationship that has crumbled. Maybe you are actually facing the death of a loved one or facing a diagnosis you weren't expecting. Where is Jesus in the face of death? Well, this passage is a reminder that in the desperation, in the doubt, even in death, we serve a God who pauses and is present. And in his presence is absolutely the power to heal and restore and make all things new in this moment. And in his presence is also the strength to live each day if the healing is meant to happen when Jesus returns. 
So whether we're asking these questions in a time of want or a time of plenty, like Jairus, Jesus invites us to respond to his presence by placing our trust in him. So this morning, this week, the first question this passage invites us to ask is where is Jesus inviting you to trust him? Or another way to phrase it is what is Jesus inviting you to trust him with? Maybe that's a relationship, a project, a season of life. Maybe you have just started off as new parents. Maybe you're stepping into the season of retirement. Maybe God's inviting you to trust him with that. Maybe Jesus is inviting you to trust him with your whole life. Where is Jesus inviting you to place your trust, to lean back on him? To bring that thing to him with open hands and to surrender it to the one who is not only present, but who has the authority to actually do something. Where is Jesus inviting you to trust him? And second, where is Jesus inviting you to be present with others? Maybe you aren't desperate or doubting or facing death. Life is going well, and even if it isn't going well, life is steady in this moment. If following the way of Jesus means walking the way that Jesus walked, and if Jesus is present to those who are desperate, doubting, and facing death, then as his followers, we are empowered to do the same. So is there someone that the Holy Spirit is placing on your heart that you are invited to be present with? Maybe it's by actually showing up in person. Or it's by bypassing the two-second text and saying, I'm actually going to carve out a few minutes to call you today. Maybe it's praying for them, interceding alongside them because you know that they are tired and have run out of the words to pray for themselves. The life that Jesus invites us to live is a life of presence with others. And I know sometimes that's scary. At least in my own life, I often worry, I don't know what to say. What if what I say causes more harm than does good? And these were questions I had when I started to visit folks, especially in the hospital. And I love what Pastor Donna, one of our care pastors, said to me. I remember one of these moments, I was so worried, and she looked at me and said, Ashish, you're worried you're going to make a mistake or say the wrong thing. But that's not the point. The point is just to be present. And the beauty is we know that we're not alone because if Jesus is present with those who are desperate, who are doubting, who are close to death, then we know that Jesus is present in that place of pain. And we get to join the work that God is already doing and trust Jesus to give us wisdom and strength to know how to be present in the lives of the people around us. And so this morning, who do you need to be present with? Is it a classmate? Is it a neighbor or a coworker, or a family or a friend? I mean, the list could go on. But would we be people that follow Jesus' presence into these spaces and are actually reflecting Jesus' presence and steadfast love to those around us? Not to fix the situations, but just be present. So we started this morning with this question, where is Jesus when I'm scared? Jesus is present. And I'm not going to leave you with a song like Veggie Tales, but what I want to leave you with is a practice. And I actually want to take time to walk through this practice 
together. This spiritual practice is called imaginative prayer. And it's a practice that many people have used to slow down and pray through a past interaction or even a situation that's happening now and wonder with the Holy Spirit, Jesus, where are you in this situation? Now, if you want to spend more time doing this, you can go to millcitychurch.com hub and there's a written out full description of this practice. But today we're going to do this together before we go into another practice of remembering God's presence, which is musical worship and communion. And so I want to invite you to join in as you feel comfortable. You know where you are, you know what you're going through, and this is not to force you past your comfort level. But if you're willing, and if you're comfortable, would you close your eyes with me? And Nathan's going to come up, and he's going to play some music as we step into this time together. Before I lead us through this practice, I just want to pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you that your presence is here. And Jesus, as we step into this practice together, in the name of Jesus, we bind any lies, we bind any shame, we bind any distraction. Jesus, we just want to see you. And so, Holy Spirit, would you show us where Jesus is? All right, as you close your eyes, I invite you to imagine a time in the last year or two when you experienced desperation, doubt, or even the death of something or someone. As you think of this moment, think of the setting of that experience. Now, as you're comfortable, imagine yourself there. Go back and think through a few scenes that were a part of that experience or moment. Go back over the scenes in your mind. What was said? What was heard? How did you feel? As you're comfortable, rewind those scenes in your mind and enter that scene again. But this time, imagine you see yourself as a character in the narrative, watching from a third-person perspective. You're watching this character from above or beside. And as you're picturing that, look around the scene and ask Jesus, where were you during this experience?
you hear him say anything? What's his posture? What are his nonverbals? Jesus, as we think through where you are in this room, show us only what you want us to see. Jesus, once again, in your name, we bind the lies, we bind the shame, we bind the doubt, the uncertainty. Jesus, show us where you are in this room. your eyes are closed, look around again. Where in that room that you imagine do you see Jesus? Do you hear him say anything? What is his posture? Is he sitting down right beside you? Is he standing there with arms open wide? What's the look on his face? some of you that practice wasn't long enough and so if you want to continue to engage in that practice like I said you can find the list on millcitychurch.com hub but if you saw something would you take out your phone and you can jot it down in your phone or in a journal talk to a friend that you trust about it but now we're going to head into another practice of remembering God's presence through musical worship and communion and what I want to invite you to do is to, similar to Jesus, pause and be present. Don't feel like you're rushed into the music. If you want the band to sing over you, you can do that. And don't feel like when communion is happening, you need to get up and go right into communion. Take the moment to pause. We'll be here. Jesus is here. And what Pastor Donna will explain is that after or during communion, there will be people around the walls who would love to pray over you and pray with you. And even at the end of the service, if you still want more time to just sit and reflect on Jesus' presence, I'll be down in the front here. Pastor Donna, Pastor Steph will be down in the front, and we would love to pray over you and pray with you. But now, would we remember that we serve a God who pauses and is present and invites us to trust Him? Let's continue to reflect on God's presence together this morning.